The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you on this, the 1st of August 2022. My word, how this year has passed us by in literally a blink and so much is happening this is the country where news is so fast the media cycle is so quick that i always ask people the same question what happened to the 10 babies and then they realize just how quick the media cycle is in south africa i'll be chatting in a couple of minutes to ronnie kagan about the issues of fraud corruption morals and ethics within the business community and how it seems to be lacking from where it was but before we get there, I just want to cover two stories that I think are, are very important. The first, of course, is what we've seen coming out of Krugersdorp the last couple of days, and that is the horrendous report of the gang rape of eight young ladies together with the armed robbery by what is assumed to be foreign nationals illegally mining in the area. These illegal miners, known colloquially as Zamazamas, have been working on the RAND for many years now. Their areas of operation are known to the police, yet they seem to be getting away. They seem to be just be able to operate without any fear of, of consequence. And this, to me, is an issue because suddenly overnight, once this horrendous um, crime took place, more than 80 of these Zamazamas were rounded up by the police. The police knew exactly where to find them. And they did this with the assistance of the security fraternity. My question is, if we know where these criminals are operating from, why haven't we taken them to task beforehand? Mining illegally impacts on our fiscus. It depletes our resources. And most importantly, it allows criminals to operate in plain sight. And for me, why does it have to come to such a horrendous end where we've got women that are raped um, on a film set and the police only now take action? Now we're seeing arrests being made. To me, something doesn't make sense here. The second story I want to cover is it was the National Policy Framework Policy Conference of the uh, African National Congress this past weekend. And uh, the president stood before the, the, the policy conference and they discussed various issues, but of course Palapala was not on the agenda. Although the president was taken to task supposedly by the Integrity Committee last week. Jeffrey Derby reports back from the Integrity Committee to say that uh, the meeting ended without any um, clear understanding of what exactly took place at Palapala. Now, the Constitution allows one's right to protection from self-incrimination. And is this, is, what, is this what's happening? Because it seems as if the president is keeping mum on something that can impact on both him as a leader as well as the ruling party. One must remember this is the elective year for the African National Congress. They have their national elective conference in December. And in 2024, we have national elections. Does the ANC want to go forward with a compromised president or are they going to use this as a means to remove him and are we going to see Ramaphosa only serving one term? It's an interesting scenario we find ourselves faced with. I must remind you the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. I'm joined today by Ronnie Kagan. It's not his first time on Chai FM. He's chatted to us a few times. And in fact, he was a voice during COVID. I used to interview and chat to Ronnie during COVID about the fact that people were worried that their revenue streams had dried up. Um, and he was there as a, as a welcome voice to help our listeners understand 
um, from a business perspective what they needed to do during the COVID period and after the COVID period. Ronnie is a is an author. He's a businessman. And um, he, he joins us today to chat about something that impacts on all of us, and that is the issue of morals and ethics within the business community. A very good morning to you, Ronnie. Morning, Chad. How are you doing? Good. Ronnie, let's dive straight in. I spoke at the beginning of the conversation about the issues we have from a countrywide perspective. We've got criminals that are getting away with serious contact crimes. We're talking about rape, murder, hijacking. We're talking about a president that hasn't come clean with the nation about monies that were allegedly stolen from his farm, Palapala. We're now seeing in the business community more and more issues arising with regards to fraud and corruption. My question to you, is it because people are taking a chance because they see the state is incapacitated or has it always been there? Chad, great point that you've made. And, you know, before I actually came in, I went on to Google and I had a look. What is actually corruption in business? And when I looked up what is business, it says it's the purchase and sale of goods or services in an attempt to make a profit. And also, you know, it's what is done in order to require is required to make money. And I think what happens is people will always push the envelope. You know, if the speed limit is 60, people will drive at 65 because they think they won't get stopped. Then they'll push it to 70. If they get stopped at 80 kilometers an hour, a little contribution towards the uh, traffic officer's uh, lunch, and uh, off they go. So I think what happens is when there aren't consequences for actions, people will always push the boundaries further than they need to. So that takes me to my next question. We raised with a certain set of ideals. We meant to have these morals and ethics forefront in our mind. So when people are beginning to push the envelope, are they, are they conditioned towards the fact that they, they're going to become corrupt? Or is there a certain thing that occurs that makes them corrupt? In my personal point of view, I don't think people go out with the intention of being corrupt or deceitful. I think what happens is people will always push the envelope, as I mentioned with the speed two minutes ago, and when they get away with it, then they become more brave, they become more, um, if I may say, they extend the boundaries further and further away from everything. And I think the biggest problem we've got is, you know, when we look at companies, if we go back and we have a look at companies like Steiner, for example, you know, that was a company that had over 40 brands, they were in over 30 countries around the world, and it was billions of dollars and rands were actually stolen. When we look at companies like Deloitte, when we look at companies like Enron, and the list goes on and on, we can look at how many companies are there. Arthur Anderson, these are, were huge organizations that were out there and their role and their function was in order to operate businesses and to manage watching those businesses to ensure that they actually operated within the guidelines. But when someone then approaches them and makes a personal contribution towards the decision maker, I think that people then become what I may say selfish and do whatever they can do in order to look after themselves. So if we go back and we have a look at the government, for example, why do we have the government, the ANC that's currently in power right now, doing what they're doing and getting away with what they get away with? Because there are no consequences. And the reason there's no consequences, in my personal opinion, is because there's always someone who's willing to motivate them financially in order to not pursue things against them. Quite a joke that came out of the um, policy conference within the ANC this weekend was a suggestion that the ANC sets up its own anti-corruption agency. 
Now, they already have an integrity committee, and every single time we hear about fraud and corruption, nine times out of ten when it's in the public sector, it involves a deployed carder. It's a bit ironic, don't you think, that the ANC themselves are calling for an internal mechanism, it's almost like policing themselves. Well, that's the whole problem. The moment that people get to police themselves, that's when their boundaries become insignificant. They don't exist. So people can actually go out there, whoever it is, whether it's an individual in business, whether it's in the government, and people can get away with what they want to get away with because they know that at the end of the day there will be no repercussions. So, Ronnie, let me ask you this. Is the majority of the fraud and corruption we're seeing in the private sector, the increase that's been measured as a result of people seeing that the government is lax when it comes to enforcing the legislation we have in place to fight fraud and corruption? I believe the government, if we talk about the government, we can talk about the government. We also talk about the police. And I think that, you know, I've had personal circumstances where people in business have been unethical. And then what's happened is that they've gone to the police. They've looked after the police, we presume, because nothing ever gets followed through in order to make people accountable for whether they've been fraudulent, whether they've been corrupt, whether there's been bribery involved. And what happens is, as I said a few minutes ago, if there's no consequences, people will push the boundaries. It's exactly the same with children. You know, we just had the program on children. If you don't discipline your children, if you don't hold them accountable to do what needs to be done, then they're not going to understand what consequences are because they never suffer. So let me rephrase this. Do we have a culture of lawlessness in South Africa at the moment? Absolutely. And are we seeing it crossing over more and more into the business community? I think they, they blend into one because business will end up corrupting the government. The government allows business to get away with what they get away with. And it's not only in this country. I mean, as I spoke to you before, you know, and I mentioned to you about companies like Enron. I spoke to you about Arthur Anderson. I spoke to you about Deloitte. I spoke to you about Steinhoff. I mean, these were global, huge organizations that got away with billions of dollars. And the consequences are that a handful of people at the top of the ladder made hundreds of billions of dollars and rands. And yet what happens is the tens of thousands of people who suffered because of those implosions of business just became victims of the circumstances. I mean, I think there was 38,000 people who lost their jobs when, when we've had these companies falling under. And, you know, with Arthur Anderson, when we have a look at what happened there, the consequences were they had to pay $500,000 in fines. I mean, that becomes insignificant. If I steal a 1,000 rand from you and you tell me the penalty is 100 rand, when am I going to stop? People don't. And that's the problem, I believe. We're chatting to Ronnie Kagan today about the consequences of fraud and corruption and, in fact, whether there are any consequences and why we seem to have a culture in South Africa of fraud and corruption and how it's spreading into the business community. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I'm in conversation today with Ronnie Kagan, and it's a very interesting topic, but it's a very necessary conversation, and that is the lack of business ethics. We are seeing more and more companies and businessmen being charged with fraud and corruption in this country, yet we don't see the consequences of these fraud charges that have been brought against them. In fact, most of the time we don't even know about these cases because somebody's done a deal along the line to either pay back money or pay a small fine. The fact remains is, though, that our courts are inundated. Our investigating officers are under-resourced. 
Ronnie Kagan, are people taking advantage of the situation? Absolutely. And as I said right at the beginning, business is about making money. What people don't tend to put in the forefront of their minds is that you have to be ethical in business. You have to be honest. And you have to also look at the long-term consequences of your actions. And I think people don't do that. You know, when we look at bribery and corruption in business, it's a serious issue. It's got the potential to damage reputations along the line. And it means, you know, that it's important to understand that bribery and corruption in the workplace is both internal and external from business. And, you know, business doesn't police itself. If you've got a problem in business, you need to be able to go to the police who's supposed to be an independent party in order to do it. So coming back to the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that the government is looking at putting in certain entities in order to police themselves. That's like having a businessman held accountable to punish himself and to hold himself accountable for any crimes that he's taken care of. Where are you ever going to find any justice in that? So, Ronnie, this is a conversation that's been held on a number of occasions with a number of people from different disciplines, and it, it's about the, the ethos of value and the ideals that come with running a business. When you see a government that's soft on corruption and you see a government's leadership not taking action, in other words, zero consequence for action, then big business starts becoming a lot more overt in their activities. But when big business is involved, it trickles down to small business. I'll give you an example. I met with a whistleblower recently, and unlike most whistleblowers, this person doesn't work for a particular company that he's blowing the whistle from. He was a supplier. And because he wouldn't pay backhanders, he no longer was able to supply a certain organization. That organization is a conglomerate. So his morals, his ideals have now resulted in him losing contracts. Why is it that a person gets punished for being moral and ethical? You know what, Ted, I think it's because the decision maker, whomever's going to decide as to where that business is going, they are selfish and looking at what they can get out of the deal. And, you know, I have uh, someone that I know personally, and they're involved. It's a black lady in South Africa, and she's involved in the construction industry, and she works in the roads and repairs. And uh, I was talking to her two weeks ago, and she got a contract to do five. It was a 500,000 rand contract that she was given to do some road repairs in Orange Grove. She had to pay 50,000 rand to a government official in order to get the contract. And so what this does is that this kills her profit margins. It also means that she has to employ fewer people because she's not going to do the contract at a loss. So she employs fewer people. They therefore can't do the job competently enough. The job takes 10 times longer, and that's where it flows the whole way through. I mean, Chad, if we have a look at, for example, Eskim, how many people are comfortable and happy with the rates that they have to pay to Eskim? Eskim just keep increasing and increasing and increasing their fees. Why? Because Eskom used to be the most profitable, successful energy generator in the world. In the world, Chad. And where's it become now? It's imploded. 
And so what they do is they pass their corruption and their bribery because they've been helping themselves onto the consumer. The consumers are then struggling, and that impacts every single other area of their life. It impacts how they can feed and educate their kids, what they can do and how they have to work. So, yes, I believe that when you don't have people held accountable by individuals that are outside of that entity, then it just becomes how much more can we steal, how much more can we bribe, how much more or can we cause a problem? So from a helicopter view perspective, we can say that the public and private sector fraudsters and corruptors and corruptees have a symbiotic relationship. Their aim is to plunder the public purse. Let's talk more on the basis of where we are as businessmen. We're not government. We're not interested in government tenders. We as businessmen are meant to be working together. Yet we're seeing a massive breakdown there again in the trust relationship. There's not a day that goes by I don't hear of another businessman being done in by a business partner or somebody from within the organization stealing. You said earlier people want to push the envelope. It has to be more than that. Surely if we've got this businessman who whistle blew because he wasn't being given a contract because he refused to pay a bribe, surely there's businessmen out there that are just narcissistic they're just sociopathic they want to take advantage of others yeah chad and yeah i've I've got personal experience in business where i've invested in other businesses and then the business people that i was in partnership even although we had signed contracts even although we had agreements even although we had everything was reduced to writing which i say is imperative these people went out they did whatever they did i won't discuss it in finer details right now i'm sure we'll get another chance to discuss that but they went out of their way in order to pay certain people, in order to make sure that they didn't have to fulfill their end of the bargain. And what happens? The consequences are if the average person who doesn't have money gets involved in any other business deal with these people, they land up being wiped out, absolutely wiped out. It impacts their families, divorces in families, kids land up disadvantaged, education becomes a problem for the kids, and then they become victims of their circumstances because someone else got away with total corruption and theft because they were able to pay somebody in order to not get prosecuted. So let me let me understand this. What you're saying to me is because corruption is so rife, it's now easier to commit fraud. Oh, totally. It, it's like it's a it's a not even a, a difficult entity today. You know, if you're driving down, I'll take it on a basic level. If you're driving down the road and a traffic cop pulls you over for 50 bucks for his lunch money, you're on your way. Well, that's where it starts. Then what happens when you want to go further to the licensing department? Then you want to get involved in business and you go and invest and you, we've chatted about a little bit earlier today. You get involved in business. You trust someone from a huge organization. They give you uh, some information. You trust them. You give them the money and it was all a front. What happens? They don't get prosecuted. They don't get put in jail. And, we, you know, when we have a look at, at, at our Mr. Ex-President, our, our old president, uh, Jacob Zuma, he's back in court again today for the uh, French arms deal that's been going on. That's been going on for decades, decades. And, and what's happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing's happened. So how do you expect the average person who's trying to get by in business to be able to do business ethically with other people when the other people realize, hang on, doesn't matter if I'm not ethical because there will be no consequences. So, Ronnie, I want to ask you this. Normally, we'll take a break at half past. We're not today because this, con- this is a, a very interesting conversation that has to be had. 
South Africa has incredible legislation in place. You used the um, Zuma example now with um, Thales, the, the, the French arms manufacturer. Shabir Sheikh was the other accused in that matter. He was actually sentenced, went to prison, came out on early medical parole. He's still playing the golf courses. However, the law does not make a distinction between the corruptor and the corruptee. And the fact that he went to prison and Zuma didn't left a massive void in our legislation. The same occurred with Agliotti and Celebi. Celebi was in prison, later released on medical parole, whereas Agliotti got a walk. We introduced legislation in this country called PRECA, Prevention Combating Corrupt Activities Act. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of legislation read together with POCA, the Prevention of Organized Crime Act. The state has all the mechanisms in place to be able to fight organized crime, sophisticated financial crime, and other related crime, such as money laundering. We're not seeing this happening. We can use the excuse of incapacitation, under-resourced, but the fact remains is that when I hosted together with the South African Israeli Chamber of Commerce a conference in 2001 regarding the implosion we were about to see of fraud and corruption, Judge Willem Heath said that the government was soft on corruption and he later resigned. My question to you, if governments are going to hold people accountable, if we, we, we can't resort to vigilantism, what do we do? as business people to hold those to book, to account for those that are prejudicing others. Chad, that is the biggest problem. I, you know, but I think one of the options that we've got as, as business people is that we need to name and shame people. We need to name and shame people for two reasons. The first and the main reason I believe it is, is so that other people then don't get caught in. You know, these people who ripped me off for millions of rands in this country, even although we had contracts signed and everything, what happened is after people found out that I'd been ripped off for millions of rands, everybody, not everybody, but many people came to me and said, yes, I know that this person is deceitful and I know that this person is dishonest and I know that this person is, is you know, operates in this manner and my question to them was great why didn't you tell me about it beforehand it's great you come and tell me after the horse has bolted that you then are aware that this is the problem why aren't people mentioning it beforehand as i said two reasons firstly to prevent additional people being stitched up and nailed because that's a big big problem and secondly the people then just carry on walking down the road as happy as can be presuming everybody's presuming that are oh, they nice ethical honest business people when in fact they're not the actual shysters who are out there ripping people off so the challenge in this country, this is the bizarre thing. It's easier to go on a civil matter and get an interdict against somebody for speaking the truth than it is to see the bad people lined up in the dock in criminal court and facing the consequences. I know this from experience. I have been involved in law enforcement for 30 years. 21 of those I've practiced for the private sector. And I know the risk associated with naming and shaming. And you're 100% right. There needs to be another mechanism and I, I, I don't know where we're going to find the silver bullet but the more we talk around the, 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 the subject and the more we talk in circles we're not getting to the, 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 the actual aspect of fraud and corruption being so pervasive so prolific that it's oh it's another guy now oh my word you also got caught and you raised the point there why aren't people talking in the Jewish community, the, there's the strong belief that you shouldn't speak ill of others. However, there are so many people from every single other community that preaches the same and sings the same hymn. 
that you shouldn't speak ill of somebody. Nonsense. Yeah, Chad, you know, so, so we, we say in the Jewish uh, tradition, in the way of life, is Lashon you shouldn't talk bad about another person, which is 100% correct. However, if you're telling the truth, that is not talking bad about someone. You know, where do you draw the line between talking negatively about someone when it's fabricated and actually telling the truth? So my personal opinion, I've spoken to many rabbis about this, and, and the answers they give me are fascinating. But at the end of the day, if someone has proven beyond any questions of doubt that they've been corrupt, that they've been involved in bribery, that they've acted dishonestly, if you don't mention it, if you don't tell other people about it, it's as if you're endorsing their behavior. So I think in my personal opinion and from my limited understanding of Yiddishkeit, of the Jewish way of life, is that if someone has acted intentionally, dishonestly, then we do need to talk about it because of those two reasons that I mentioned, to stop other people mainly falling into the trap and secondly for those people to be held accountable. But you see, in this country specifically, when you have a look at bribery and corruption. Because someone can get, land up getting charged, they can then go to the investigating officer, they can go to the head of whatever the party is, whether it's the IPEC, whichever party it is, and they can make a contribution towards the investigating officer. The investigating officer sits there and thinks, well, hang on, I can pursue this person and I can land up getting nothing for it, or I can take the bribe, I cannot pursue the matter and make a hundred thousand rand or whatever it is that they want to do. So I think that it's a combination of both. And business needs to come back to the facts and the basics of saying, you know what, guys, we need to act ethically because business can be run ethically. People can operate ethically. You can make money ethically. There's a lot of people in this country that have become very, very wealthy, like Raymond Ackerman, running Pick and Pay, a brilliant business. Someone, and I'm not involved with Pick and Pay, I'm just sharing it. I don't have shares in Pick and Pay. He's a, he's a phenomenal man who's gone out there, who's added massive value to his customers. His customers support him, and the business flourishes. So I think business can be run ethically, but it's a combination of making sure that we get a police force and a government institution that's actually going to take responsibility and say, I am accountable to make sure that this business or these people that have done something illegal should be held accountable and put those people in jail. So we mentioned the aspect of people not wanting to speak out of fear for defamation, how easy it is to get a matter enrolled these days. Um, on a, on a, on an urgent basis regarding defamation. And this scares a lot of people off because people have money. We call them slap suits. Glenda sent me this now. It was, it was posted by Dario Milo, who for all intents and purposes is South Africa's foremost attorney when it comes to defamation libel. And he says, very interesting decision by Justice Stain in the United Kingdom, Wagatha Christie libel case between Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rudy. Judge found, the truth had been proved by Rooney, and so Vardy scored a spectacular own goal bringing the case, um, by bringing the case. This is a fate that often befalls defamation claimants. The UK public interest defense is similar to SA's reasonableness defense. Judge Stain ruled that the defense wasn't available to Rooney. She didn't give Vardy a right to reply before the reveal of a post. Signifies the importance of right of reply to the availability of that defense. So now in South Africa, we talk about Audi Ultram Partum, giving the other party the right to say their side of the, of, of an event that's occurred. In other words, what you're saying to me, Ronnie, somebody's committed fraud. We're saying that 
that person must be named and shamed. But the person who's been named and shamed, in order for us to be able to name and shame them, they have to have the opportunity to voice their opinion. I, I totally agree with you, Chad, and I think that it's essential that we actually do that. You can never have one side of a coin. You know, even you take a magnet, there's always a north and a south, a positive and a negative. It's impossible in life to only have one side. Every single thing in life has an opposite to it. You know, yin and yang. Every single thing. The problem is this, is that when we go out and we have a look at people, I'll talk about the government, so I'm not mentioning individuals now. We'll do that just now. But you have a look at people like Ace Makhashule. There was no question in anybody's mind as to what happened in the free state, as to what actually went on. Yet how long did it take for the government to remove him? And in actual fact, if you listened back to the ANC conference they just had, part of the deliberation that came out was they wanted to look at removing the, the, the consequences of an official who actually had a criminal charge against them. The step aside, the step aside, rule. aside rule. They wanted to remove it. Now Ramaphosa has said, I heard on the news this morning, no, he wants to strengthen the step aside rule well let's see if they actually do it because there's one thing between saying and another thing between doing so you know hopefully we can get to the stage where if i charge you or i accuse you of something that you and i can sit down in front of independent parties that we can each put our case forward and have an unbiased opinion from a professional who can then make a ruling and then that ruling has to be upheld but until we have those sequences and in place, we're going to land up going from the one situation to the next to the next and never land up putting a top on this corruption and bribery that's going on. So under South African jurisprudence, we consider that something is not defamation if it is published and it is A, truthful, and B, in the interest of public. So this is a conversation that is very important because do we name and shame? And if we do, how do we name and shame and under what circumstances? I'm chatting to Ronnie Kagan. You're listening to Confidential Brief. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're chatting today about, I'd say, the lack thereof when it comes to morals and ethics within the business place. We spoke about where does it derive from. We know that fraud and corruption has existed for a long time. We're just seeing it far more prevalent today because of government stance and the attitude of government in pursuing fraud and corruption within their own ranks, and it's had a trickle-down effect into the private sector. Ronnie and I have been trying to come to a some kind of resolution as to how people can get justice if the criminal justice system as well as the civil courts are letting them down. Now, Ronnie, the Jewish community has the Beth Din. Surely a lot of businesses that have Jewish owners on both sides, when there's a dispute, they can refer to the Beth Din. They can, Chad. You see, the, the, the problem with the Beth Din, and I've approached the Beth Din myself so I can talk about this personally, the problem with the Beth Din is twofold. A, firstly, both parties need to agree that they're going to adhere to the ruling of whatever the Beth Din comes out with. Now, if you and I are in a dispute and, and you want to go to the Beth Din and I turn around and I know that I'm in the wrong and I know that I'm the one to blame, there's no ways I'm going to agree to go to the Beth Din. What can the Beth Din do? Nothing. 
And if the Bethdin do land up making a ruling, what consequences are there? The only consequences are for an ultra-religious Jew or someone who goes to Shul, who gets Aliyahs, called up to the Bima and all of that, then the Bethdin will make, if they find that the person's at fault, they will make a ruling that that person cannot now get an Aliyah. But if you're someone who's got no morals and no ethics, if you're someone who doesn't follow the tradition of the, la- of the Jewish way of life, you don't care whether the Bethdin makes a ruling that you can't get an Aliyah called up into Shul or that you can't get any preference. So I think until the Bethdin actually have the legal clout to be able to put someone in jail for having done bribery and corruption and dishonesty in business, I, I don't think that I think that they are they're a, they, they don't have the strength or the power to follow through on anything. So the Bethdin mediates and arbitrates. And what came into effect in March 2020, a lot of people didn't know this because March 2020 is when COVID made its uh, arrival in South Africa. Rule 41A came about. Rule 41A says that before matters heard in the high court, there has to be an attempt at mediation or arbitration. Both parties have to show that the mediation or arbitration has failed. They have to submit certificates. So the state is now making it conditional in the civil context. Of a, of a, of a, of a, of a matter that there has to be this mediation arbitration. What about the criminal side of things? When you have a failing criminal justice system, how do you hold these fraudsters to account? Chad, in regards to the arbitration rule that they brought out in 2020, I've had these issues, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, with two people, and we'll discuss them just now, two people who are totally dishonest. And we try, I tried four times to get arbitration people involved, four different entities. They refused to turn up. So what good is it when the government makes a ruling that you have to go to arbitration and the people say, I'm not turning up? Or they turned around and said, yo, we'll turn up for arbitration as long as you drop all your matters against me, lose all the millions that you've invested. There's no, there's no good in having an arbitration rule brought in by the government if, again, it's not going to be implemented. So where do we go with this? I don't know. We need to find some way. We've got all these investigative programs in South Africa, more than most countries, simply because – for per capita, simply because we've got so many stories on the go of businessmen, businesswomen involving themselves in corrupt practices. For you, what's the silver bullet? Well, the silver bullet for me would be the government actually sitting down and saying, you know what? Yes, we understand that there's all this corruption that's going on in the government. We understand that there's all these issues that have been going on with the public sector. And the government's sitting down and saying, yes, now we'll pursue them. How long is it going to take them to pursue them? It's taken them 20 years, and they've still got nowhere with Zuma. So where are they going to go with this? And every other private matter gets pushed aside in order for the government to pursue their issues. But at the end of the day, they're never going to do it. Generations are going to pass before anything gets implemented. In answer to your question, how do I see this being resolved? The government actually taking a stance and saying, you know what? We are going to draw a line in the sand. We are going to invest the money that's necessary to put honest people in place. We are going to police the police themselves to make sure that they actually follow through ethically, honestly, and timelessly in order to pursue people. And I think once you start seeing, and my personal belief is once you start seeing government officials being locked up in jail, not being let out after a couple of weeks because they got a sore back or whatever the physical, the, the, the ailments are that they're claiming medically, but when people actually get put in jail and they get locked up and they have to serve their term, whether it's two years or 20 years, then what will happen is people will start to realize 
because there are consequences for bribery and corruption and, and operating illegally, and that is the only thing that I believe will change it. But until the government actually do put these entities in place, you know, I was, I was reading the other day that in, it was actually on the news, so this is factual, that I'm aware of that there's been no traffic cameras, speed cameras working in South Africa for over the last year. And now they said that they'd lost, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they said there's something like 800 million rand worth of fines have been lost by the state in the last year because the cameras haven't been working. How much would it have cost the government to do it? Why didn't the government sit down and say, you know what, let's spend 10 million, 20 million, 100 million fixing the cameras, getting people accountable in order to collect those fines so that we'll spend 100 million and we'll make 800 million. They don't do that. Why not? You raise a very good point. When the investigating director was established a few years ago, to take on all the state capture cases They were given a budget of 100 million Sounds a lot to us as small businessmen 100 million in the greater scheme of things Is absolutely nothing When they expected to prosecute and recover Billions if not trillions of rands It turns out That that was one of the reasons That the, the founding advocate of the ID left She's now been replaced by advocate Andrea Johnson And the biggest problem we have There is capacitation once again So all the Prosecutors with some know-how in terms of white-collar crime and all the investigators from the Hawks and the police have now been seconded to the investigating director because the investigating director didn't have money to hire their own. It's a terrible situation, and you touched on a very important point. State capture, tender fraud, and PPE are now taking preference. Moshe sends us a message on our message board. Hi, Chad. With regards to the Beth Din, they can ruin somebody's reputation in the community, and many people are wary of that, especially if it will affect their business. Your, your take on that? Well, you know, as I said before, I think that if the Beth Din are going to be a, an entity of any strength, they need to be able to implement some kind of punishment, some, whether it's an extensive fine, whether it's prison time. They need to be able to have the capacity to make sure that perpetrators are actually prosecuted and that they do suffer the consequences of their actions. So, yes, you know, some gentleman sitting down there and saying, yeah, you know, the, the, the Beth Din can damage my reputation. They can indeed. But what percentage of people who are corrupt, who are op- operating with bribery and, and, and unethically in business, how many of them really give a toss about their, their reputations? Most of them don't. I want to take this a step further and have another conversation with you and somebody from the Beth Din, because if they are acting within the ambit of the law and they can make a ruling, in terms of 41A, that ruling could be made an order of court. If it's made an order of court and somebody does not adhere to it, there should be sanctions, whether it's fines or whether it's been held in contempt of that court. So I would like to find out more about mediation and arbitration and whether if an order is made an order of court, one of these mediation or arbitration orders, that they can take it further because you need organizations with teeth. And we're seeing organizations like Afri Forum resorting to private prosecutions because they have no faith in the state to take matters forward. Yep, absolutely. And it's the same with Outer and all of the other organizations. Can they ensure that the people that have been, and as you said, get two people in a room, get them to put their stories forward with evidence, with everything else that's factual, have independent parties that can make a ruling on that, but then the consequences have to be followed through. They have to be followed through. Otherwise, it just becomes lip service. Ronnie Kagan, it's been a very interesting conversation.
Thank you, Chad. Look forward to seeing you soon. I think we're going to have another conversation. And to the listeners, please let me know. You can follow us on the Confidential Brief radio page or Chai FM. Um, we're on social media. Just search for Confidential Brief. Let, let us know your opinion on this, especially with regards to the route that a lot of people are now taking. And that's private prosecutions or having matters that are sitting with the state reviewed by competent third parties within the private sector. We need solutions to the fraud that's in the private sector. Yes, the state is very vocal about fraud in the public sector, but we're getting left behind. Business people are suffering every single day due to unscrupulous operators. Let me know what your solution is. And I promise you now, we're going to be having a conversation with the Beth Din, with arbitrators, as well as with organizations like AfriForum and Outer to find out what can be done regarding private prosecutions and the review of matters where clearly there's an injustice and people are using the criminal justice system to serve themselves. Thank you so much for joining me. Next week, I'll be in conversation with Mark Natilovitz from Cortec. We're going to chat about the privatization of policing in our communities and what role the security industry can play. Yes, we know they force multipliers, but I'm sure they can do so much more. A conversation of our conversation with Ronnie Kagan will be uploaded to the High FM website. Click on highfm.com, go to more podcasts, click on confidential brief, and you'll find the conversation will be uploaded before tomorrow. My name is Chad Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us.